Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 141st episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that won't spook your wallet. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Single with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MDG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How are you doing this week? Hello, hello, kind sir. Looking forward to uh, this weekend. You doing anything this weekend for Halloween? Uh, cool not this weekend, games? but I am running that custom board game we were talking about next week uh, on Halloween Eve, which should be pretty fun. Oh, so you're doing that, not this weekend, but uh, next week. Then. Yeah, Wednesday evening. Okay. All right. I'll be curious to hear how that goes next week. Um, I had a brain fart. Uh, our show is sponsored by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. What's on the agenda this week, my friend? James, this week we have four segments. Segment one is our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have risen the most in price this week. Segment two are cards to watch. Some cards James and I uh, have our eyes on, we think might rise in price. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We have the SCG Modern Open in Dallas with uh, over 600 players. And finally, four, uh, segment four, our topic of the week, we will check in on Arena. It had sort of its official, semi-official launch this week, so we'll chat about that a little bit. So let's jump right in. Uh, segment one, our top movers, Foil Drog Skull Captain, Captain out of Dark Ascension. Uh, eight bucks up to about 12, so about a 50% gain. Not massive. Um, you know, you're not, you know, if you bought an eight and sold at 12, by the time you put this in an envelope, you made enough for a whopper. Uh, actually, not even, you made enough for the dollar menu, but possibly important uh, of things to come. Um, it's definitely a key part of the modern spirits deck so we could see that move again from 12 up to 20 or 25 and i'm just realizing did you put this on here because it's a spirit and it's five <laughs> days before Halloween. i didn't it's just more tracking the spirits deck over time but it's also relevant because this isn't a rare it's a uncommon right so for yes. a foil uncommon to get up over 10 bucks uh suggests that it's you know nearing its tipping point yeah, that is that is pretty hard. Uh, I mean, at that point, in Dark Ascension is so old and was not even that popular at the time. So the the supply on this is definitely less than a rare would be today. Yeah. Truth. So next on the list, we've got Keeper of Keys, which is a rare out of Conspiracy 2. This is uh, the foils we're talking about going from 10 to 18, so about an 80% gain and probably not going to stop there. Monarch cards have been under constant pressure from that set, uh, mostly for their use in EDH. This one is uh, a rare, as I said, and even though it is not all that interesting of a card in EDH, um, not a super deep uh, pile of reported decks, um, the reality is that Conspiracy 2 was an underopened set, so foil rares and foil mythics um, that are only have a single printing there are, are draining much faster than other cards would normally. I really... I, uh, I'm... I should say, I guess I'm glad to see this because I have quite a few of these of Keeper of the Keys. Uh, and the reason for that is I pegged this 
back when the Ninja Deck came out because it wasn't hugely popular at the time uh, and it wasn't in all of the lists yet, but it was really good. It was go- clearly it was going to be good in the what is it, Fumiko, the, not Fumiko, that's the low blooded, uh, the new one like uh, from Dominaria, the blue black one. Um, cause it makes all your creatures unblockable, which is what you want for your ninjas and that you get to be monarch easily. So I'm excited to see this on the list. Uh, and I am going to have to dig through my supply and see about getting a couple, putting a feeler copy up uh, and seeing if I can get it to sell for 18. Cause that would just be, that would be peachy. Sure. So we talked about Bane fire last week, uh, more movement on various versions of the card this week, uh, based on continued usage in red decks and standard. This time we are looking at the modern masters, 2015 version of the card moving from two fifty to $5. So not the kind of thing you're probably going to be able to unload for much profit out of your bulk boxes or collections, but you might be able to throw it into a buy list order. Um, as we mentioned last week and take advantage of the spike in demand. I still really need to go dig through and see if I can find all my copies and buy some because uh, no point in letting all that money go to waste. Yeah, do as, do as we say, not as we do, because I haven't pulled mine yet either. <laughs> all right. Following that is uh, Fanatical Firebrand out of Rivals of Ixalan, Foils 2 to 5, all on the back of standard red decks. These have been very popular, and they usually are in October. They feel like they've got a little more longevity this time than they have in the past. I think, you know, normally by this point in a standard format, uh, red starts to get pushed out a little bit, uh, but they seem to be doing quite well. Uh, and, you know, foil rivals of Ixalan, uncommon, right? Common or uncommon. Uh, clearly, there's some demand if this guy is more than doubling uh, as an in-print non-rare. Yeah, in, in-print common, right? Is it common? Yeah, I think it's common. And that's why... Look, why would I do that if I'm actually supposed to be a paid personality who knows these things? The, the most relevant part, based on it being common, is that it proves that the fallacy about nobody foiling out decks and standard, and especially like simple, you know, FNM style decks that, you know, simple to play, relatively simple to play, red style, like aggro decks, um, has long been a chestnut in the MTG finance community, and it's wrong. Like you see foils move when cards are big and standard, even if they're only big and standard, because some people will foil out their decks. It's just that simple. (laughs) And and if a card is really, really popular and there are tens of thousands of players using it, then even if it's only, you know, one to five percent of the players that foil out their decks, that can still make a difference, Um, especially when you're talking about sets like the Ixalan sets that were relatively unpopular overall um, in comparison to things like Dominaria and Guilds of Ravnica. So that as you get a year out from their release, there isn't very much uh, supply because nobody nobody liked the drafts from that set. So they've been fully abandoned. And so for this brief window, as standard heats up this fall, um, a lot of Ixlon cards have been moving that are seeing usage because there's there's not a strong supply uh, push uh, into the market to resupply. Mm. I guess I'm not quite as sold on this as you are in the sense that I, I see this and I, this to me does not say, oh, well, clearly there are people foiling all of their standard decks all the time. And there's enough people trying to foil this red deck that that's exactly what's going on here. I'm not I'm not totally sold on that. I'm not saying it's not true. I guess I don't see this and the few other instances of it as proof because um, we don't see it across the board, right? Like. I, we don't have, uh, what is it, Walker the Grove on here, which is the 1-3 that 
when you explore it's one one counter or whatever um which has also seen a huge amount of play on all the Golgari lists or things of that nature. So I don't know. There, I, I kind of look at this and I wonder if my, maybe there's another explanation. Uh, and I don't know for sure. May, I'm not saying you're wrong. Just I guess I'm not convinced yet. Sure. I mean, fair enough. The You can, you can make the mar- argument more easily about something like Merfolk Branchwalker um, being the fourth most played creature in the format versus Fanatical Firebrand, which doesn't even make the top 10, at least on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, bear, it bears more review. I'm certainly not suggesting people should be running out buying foil commons for standard, trying to make money on them. Um, I think you're going to find the buy list fairly soft on those regardless. Um, but it might, because it's not a card that's seeing play in decks outside this format, in a situation like that, it begs for you to look harder at whether there is movement in foil mythics that are specific to the format that might have a relatively narrow window. So that if you happen to have your hands on one because you cracked it in a box or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, I'll just hold this free DH, you might not want to. You might want to exit while the getting is good. Well, that's a lot more fair, uh, for sure. Um, adding something like a Teferi, a foil Teferi, is going to be a lot more appealing because there's so much more cross-platform appeal than something like a common in the red deck type of thing. So I do think that you need to consider each case individually. Yeah. All right. So moving right along, Library of Lang from Revised, in theory going from $2 to $5. This is, I read, as continued pressure on any old cards that seem to have relatively low supply that people uh, expect um, to see collector demand. There are, whoever has been buying through the bottom of the barrel for reserve list stuff, and then digging down into the ground underneath. This is where they're ending up. Um, likewise, uh, I may as well mention that there's a bunch of prophecy foils that look like they've jumped anywhere from 100 to 500 percent this week. Cards that are very rarely played anywhere, but are just from sets with where um, you know I I feel very strongly that groups of people or maybe a singular presence are going through the list year by year, set by set looking at what's in low supply and just picking those off as a mid to long-term hold. Which I think is uh, very plausible. That's what I think the most likely point is. Even on the revised cards, I think it's important to point out that there are a ton of revised cards out there. We saw that what the average revised card has like 250,000 copies as opposed to unlimited, which is like 18,000. And then beta was like 6,000. So it, it, you know, revises wildly uh printed compared to those sets however the number of near mint copies truly near mint way lower way lower so while you could find an infinity of crummy library of langs a crisp one is where you're going to pay a premium sure uh after that is arclight phoenix uh guilds of ravnica five up to just about 15 dollars for just about a uh, triple um this top uh, was in the top 16 of uh, the modern event this week in Dallas uh, as a four of, in fact. So quite a strong finish in modern for Arclight Phoenix. And I've been hearing chatter about it on Twitter this week. Uh, quite surprising to see it performing this strong. I still would be 100% selling it at this point in time. Uh, Arclight Phoenix is a, I mean, it is a mythic. So like you've got some possibility that it could keep climbing from, 14 or so up but i mean you'd have to see really sustained play in order for that to keep going right like you're, that's it's going to be some work for that 
Yeah, the upside is real high here, though. If this posts up as a deck that consistently makes top eights and top 16s in modern and is, you know, not necessarily tier one, but tier two, and it's around for some period of time, then fall set hurts, but mythic helps. And the mythic foils, it doesn't take much to drain mythic foils. Even for a fall set, there only ever are maybe a few thousand copies of a mythic foil that appear in the marketplace over some period of time, just because of the math of how much magic sells um, and how much, how many, how, what the high percentage of car, any card that disappear into binders and closets and under beds and into collections and never make it back through buy lists. And so the fact that this is, you know, if it's a mythic foil and it's played as a one or a two of, and maybe it's going to lose its slot, that's one thing. But this deck that was played in that top 16 at the modern uh, SEG modern open last weekend um, is built around the card. The whole purpose of the deck is to leverage this card. So in cases like that, the question becomes as it was with uh, hardened scales and hardened scales affinity, does the deck have longevity? And if so, should, how deep should I be on the floors? Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, I agree with you that the ceiling here is pretty intense. If you're talking about a card that has that level of, import in to its uh the strategy in modern and if it picks up in modern yeah that could really take off but i mean i i guess i'm i'm hedging right like in this situation i'm hedging i'm saying well you know i don't think the card is that good uh i don't think even if the deck in modern is good that the profile is that large uh you know and i think it's safer to kind of just move along um the risk is pretty high relative to the reward but uh, i mean sure there's a universe where you hold on to this and you get paid very hard yeah and the thing is that there's some chance that this card is playable in legacy too um and if it's a four of in a legacy deck legacy doesn't really move mountains anymore but it will underpin uh the value of the foils for sure oh yeah yeah no question there all right uh what do you got next here this is an interesting line <laughs> Kragenwick cremator from shadowmore uh, the non-foils moving from 50 cents to six and the foils made a move to up into the 20s, I believe. That's over a thousand percent gain on the back of this insane modern combo deck where you're discarding, uh, I think, Impervious Great Worm, if I'm not mistaken. The new uh, promo card. Yeah, that everybody was, was re- revealed yeah. wasn't going to be a good card. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was relieved wasn't going to be a good card. And now we've had both Nexus of Fate and Kragenwick Cremator show up in modern results. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a 16 16. Uh, that's a very large body. In fact, that's the largest, right? Um, I think it is. Largest body. Yeah, it's um, the largest creature of all time. Yeah, it is. Okay. And and so this was a. Uh, it wasn't even just a regular 5 0 league. This was the modern challenge event on Magic Online October 20th, 2018. And this deck fin- went six and one. And <laughs> it plays two Birds of Paradise, four Noble Hire, two Fauna Shaman, Scavenging Ooze, four Strangle Root Geist, one Magus of the Moon, four Steel Leaf Champion, two Tireless Tracker, four Kragenwick Cremator, one Nullhide Ferox, one Surok the Hunt Caller, three Impervious Great Worm. One Gull to Primal Hunger, four Lightning Bolt, and four Eldritch Evolution. Sorry, three Eldritch Evolution. This is like the thing you expect the nine-year-old to show up with at FNM. This is exactly the deck I would have built uh, had I been like brewing modern at the time that these cards came about. 
a uh, hundred million percent. I know that I have looked at Crag, Crag and Wack Cremator before and kind of pondered that card. Uh, and I, I saw this, someone like mentioned this and I clicked on the link and I was looking at the deck list and I was just like, sitting in my cubicle, you know, that like that meme image of Philip Fry from Futurama, just like kind of staring. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, that was me. I'm like, what? What is going yeah. on? I'm just like nothing but question marks on my face as I'm looking at the back. I'm like, this is so cool. <laughs> um, I, it's probably awful. I cannot imagine this deck is good, right? Like the people who beat him were probably almost, almost like probably softballing it to see what oh, the no. hell he was doing. Or he <laughs> ran super hot. One of both of those are possible. And I have played a lot of bad combo decks where occasionally you run hot and the de- you look like a genius. And then the next week, all of your opponents are playing light- lightning bolt uh, and you go 0-5. Uh, so this is really, uh, really amusing. So, so here's the thing. The same player the week before went five and two. Yeah. Same deck, same player. I, so... You know, like, obviously, that's not the same as, you know, taking this thing to a pro tour. But there's something here. You got you got to assume that this can be refined. The thing that blows my mind looking at this deck is I'm like, okay, you, you play out some some man accelerators, then you get to the crag and wick. And then you're trying to discard one of your four giant creatures. And, you know, what if you don't have them? What if they bolt path, uh, fatal push the birds? Um, the Eldritch Evolution is cute, but like you have to to make that really like interesting. You have to be going from something big to something better. There's not all that much like comes into play value in the deck. It 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 looks like a pile. I I, I have to find. I haven't watched any stream of this deck yet. I've got to imagine there is one, so I'm going to try to track it down on YouTube and get a sense for it. Um, but the key here is Impervious Great Worm. <laughs> If it shows up in a deck like this in modern that actually survives for some period of time, then Great Worm becomes a target because like Nexus of Fate, it's a mythic with no further supply. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's going to be a lot harder for this than Nexus of Fate, right? Like Nexus of Fate is a very powerful card that slotted in the standard in a deck that looked really good. Um, your worm here is like a two or three of maybe a four of in like a weird modern deck that people aren't going to take seriously for a while. So we sh- I should point that out. And I, and I only point this out so that people don't think this is immediately going to turn the nexus of fate. I don't think we're primed for that, but it Ew. is using that. Like this is a second one in a row where this seems yep. kind of sown, right? It's like, uh, yep. even if we don't think this is going to be nexus of fate, you guys are still kind of tempting fate here again. Yeah, I'm not running out and buying any impervious great worms, but this deck is like, like <laughs> this. This is what I want out of Magic. Yeah, um, man after this is what after. keeps keeps it, you know, my heart youthful. So anyway, the, big ups to Archgaze who <laughs> kicks ass on Magic Online with <laughs> impervious great worm, Kragenwick cremator, and Steel Leaf champion. This is absolutely. Uh, a dubious challenge deck like this is that deck in spirit right like oh well oh, yeah. if we play these exact cards and yeah 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 yeah. yeah. yeah this is like when i was playing dubious challenge into eldrazi <laughs> okay uh all right so that's segment one top movers let's move on to segment two our cards to watch uh james why don't you get us started yeah i'll blow through this my first two picks together uh the deck that finished top 16 at the open with Arclight 
Phoenix was also running four copies each of Thing in the Ice and Bedlam Reveler. Mm. Um, both cards that I have named at various points in the past that we've talked about on cast maybe within the last year or so. Um, both of their foils were called a little lower in the 8 to $10 range. Now you can get Thing in the Ice foils. There's not very many left, but you can still find some to mop up around 15 I think those are going to get hit hit 30 Bedlam Reveler is played uh, in the Mardu uh, tokens deck in Modern as well as this new deck, which is a completely different archetype. Um, so both of those things combined and the fact that these are relatively uh, recently printed cards that aren't due for a reprint anytime soon. Um, leads me to suggest that they're going to get up into that twenty-five to thirty-dollar range, at least for the foils. Um, and you know that's probably regardless of how, whether this new ArcLight Phoenix deck posts up in modern. That's just gravy. Okay, uh, I mean these are both definitely uh, viable targets. I think I think between the two of them, I think I probably like Bedlam Reveler a little bit more. We've definitely seen some traction on that card in the past in a few different places. The price has climbed up a bit, but I think they're both pretty pretty prudent uh, targets uh, being foil because we could definitely see them come down the pipe again, but so likely that they're going to be foil. Uh, and they've both proven their chops in the format. So uh, even if they don't explode upwards, there's definitely going to be an attrition on all those foil copies. Yeah, th- these are both tipping point cards. There's less than 30 cop- foil copies under 25 available from the major vendors in North America. So mm, um, by the time the, the people, the pro traders get, get serious advantage here, mop up a few and then boom, they're going to be, you'll, you'll see the pop up 20 plus next week. Yeah. And you know, sometimes these are uh, stubborn when it comes to uh, getting up out of, you know, the, the last 15 or 20 copies draining. I've definitely stared at them before and been like, would you hurry up and buy out the last couple of copies here? Uh, <laughs> like it's a funny thing, right? Cause like, even though your dollar cost averaging, if you buy a bunch of copies at 12 and if there's one at 1499, you're just like icky. Ew. That's not my price point. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you're like, oh, should I just buy this to get out of here and move along? Yeah. Uh, but I do think that they're, they're pretty well positioned. Um, yeah. I, I, I've left that kind of fruit on the vine many a time and, mm-hmm. but the market will eventually clean it up. I, uh, my first card of the week is Myojin of Seen Winds, uh, from Champions of Kamigawa, non-foils specifically. If you can find foil, a good price on foils, by all means, go for it. But I don't know if you will. Uh, the non-foils are, are $2 right now. Um, this is only in about a thousand decks, a little over a thousand decks. So the number is pretty low for EDH, but it's definitely always been around. It's just not a huge target. Uh, but Joda, the new guy that lets you pay five mana to cast a spell, um, has been really relatively popular in EDH the last couple months. He keeps popping up in kind of like the top 10 list, top 15 list of most built decks. And he's on Moldratha, but people are definitely building him. Uh, Myojin of Seenwinds, by the way, has never been reprinted. So we have a champion of Kamigawa rare that's never been reprinted. So supply is real low. There's like basically, I don't think there was any at Star City or ABU or Channel Fireball. There's some left on on uh, TCG. So even though he doesn't have a huge profile in, in uh, EDH at the moment, there is a deck that's reasonably popular right now that uh, is going to want this card. Um, and supply is quite low for the near mint copies. And I see, you know, if you're paying two bucks for these, these could easily get drained uh, in the next couple of days, weeks, uh, maybe even a month or two. And then that puts you in position to probably out them at between six and twelve dollars. Uh, and if you're paying two bucks, like even if they only hit five or six, you can still double up on a buy list um, and do pretty well. Probably send them back to the place you bought them from. So 
not not too uh, not too sexy, but I think you're pretty reasonable choice here. Yeah. So the idea here is that relatively low demand card, but super low supply. Yeah. 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 Essentially, and I think the demand is growing too. Is an, is an important point to note. Okay. Um, so my final pick this week is Surgical Extraction. The Modern Masters 2015 copy in particular seems primed to explode. I think it's near a tipping point. Surgical Extraction is in the top 20 cards played in Modern and, and sometimes breaks the top 10 list. Um, it hasn't seen a reprint since 2015. It is now almost 2019. Um, I th- would say it is due for a reprint in the next year and is a very good candidate to show up in a Masters-style set next year possibly as early as March, uh, February or March. Um, somewhere in between the two Ravnica sets is a possibility. Early summer is also a possibility for another set of that style. And I would give it like a, say, a 50-50 that that shows up there, given where the price is headed and the fact that the format needs a reprint of this card. All of that being said, uh, if you jump in now with an eBay coupon or something like there's a 10% off coupon today, you could snap these off at 20 and maybe buy list them out at, you know, 30 um, or retail them at 30 to 35 to 40, especially if some if this doesn't get reprinted next year, this is like a $40 plus card for sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is this is feels like you're playing playing chicken with a runaway train like Surgical extraction is just going to keep getting more and more expensive and supply is going to keep draining and it's absolutely going to go up. And it's like in the meantime, but like, do you think you can beat the the reprint, right? Like that's the game yep. you've got to play. Uh, and it is, I would say probably not for the faint of heart, but uh, potentially quite profitable if you time it right. Um, so I would say that if you're that type of person, you've got that uh, that option available to you. Yeah, part of the dis- the discussion here is when will they, if and when they announce the master set, when will that take place? Um, if it takes place before the end of the year, then people might be holding off on modern staples that are are spiking, thinking that they're going to get access to them relatively shortly. Um, so if, if we hear that Modern Masters 2019 is releasing in February, you're going to have trouble unloading these as soon as that's announced. Um, there's going to be a lot more friction in the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they say something like there's going to be a master set, but not till August, then you're going to get plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah. And some of this stuff, uh, is pretty liquid, even with a modern masters on a horizon. We've seen that a couple of times, so you might not get burned on it, even if you do know that there is a reprint coming. Yeah. And keep in mind that price, the price of the card at the point where they commit to the set contributes heavily to whether it's included. So mm-hmm. it being a $30 rare or so at that point would put it in the you know top 10 cards of the set for sure, um, if not top five, depending on the composition of the set in question. Um, so some of that plays into how motivated they are to include it. The fact that it uses Phyrexian mana is a little awkward if it's the only Phyrexian mana card in the set, but I don't think that is, it's neither here nor there ultimately, because if it needs a reprint, it needs a reprint. When was the last time they did... Frexian mana. Uh, God, there's been so many of these stupid supplemental sets. I, I can't keep track of I think it's now. just Modern Masters 2015. That was the only one that used them. Yep. So they're not, not EMA, not IMA. No, uh, I don't think hmm. so. So I, I guess... Gitaxian, it, Gitaxian Probe got a promo? No. So uh, it, it was promoted at one point, but I, that, that was, was a while back. back. Yeah, I think the most... The, the like... Sploosh to the face promo with Serum Visions. That's the one I was thinking of. 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That would be that one. Um, hmm. Yeah. So, you know, this is definitely an opportunity, an option for you. You know, I also, if you're in an area where you think it'd be pretty easy to, to be liquid with these, um, you know, it, where you think you can trade it away easily, that's an option as well. Right. Uh, like even if you know that it's gonna, that there's a set coming, it might, that this could show up in, you know, they announced new modern masters or whatever. If you have a lot of modern players in your area where there's a lot of trading, a lot of movement cards, uh, you know, and that, you know, you can just walk into the store and trade it away on any given day, um, could help to be a potential out. Conversely, if you don't believe in this as a spec, but you're holding some, uh, you're going to want to start thinking about selling. Um, in that same time frame. <laughs> so if, if you're a little more on the lazy side, you might want to get out earlier rather than later while you're thinking about it. Because if you push through the holidays and then they make an announcement and this thing gets spoiled early or something, you could easily get caught flat-footed. Um, and my guess is that the next master set is going to have, be relatively modest in its print run because the last two were problematic, to say the least. <laughs> uh, so... I would say all signals point to them uh, leaning on yet another version of Mythic Edition in the winter and then possibly a master style set somewhere in the first half of 2019. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have several options here and where they want to go with that. Um, and, you know, also, are they going to burn their equity on some of this stuff as well? Uh, a lot of uh, kind of proof in the pudding with Wizards being a little more willing to just burn their reprint equity and such where maybe they don't need to, uh, which kind of threatens some of this stuff as well. So curious to see how it all shakes out. Um, but I do think the card is, is guaranteed to trend upward. Well, two weeks in a row, I think you have the best pick. So why don't you tell me about this last one? Really? You think this is the best pick? I barely oh, put yeah. this one on here. No, your, your stats are slam dunk on this. Uh, so my second card for the week is Vandal Blast Foils out of Return the Ravnica. Uh, you can pick up Foils right now for about eight bucks. It is in just under thirty thousand decks on EDH Rock, uh, making it one of the most popular, yeah, one of the most popular cards in EDH. Um, only Foils are in Return the Ravnica. It was reprinted in uh, Commander twenty fifteen, uh, and I would guess if we're gonna see this again, it's in another Commander set. It is the top. It is the third most played red card, by the way. Uh, so definitely a really popular card in the format. Uh, if you're playing red, you have to find a reason not to play Vandal Blast. There's only one foil printing. It's now something like four or five years old. Might even God, is it more than that since we're turned the Ravnica? I don't even know. Uh, my it has been kind of sticky at this price point. I think supply is quite low, but it's been kind of sticky. So I don't know. This is a type of card that you could that looks phenomenal at eight dollars, right? You're like, wow, this this price point is nuts. Uh, it's super popular. I'm gonna buy a bunch of eight, and then it just goes to like ten, and it just won't move. And you're like, are you kidding me? And then you wait and you wait, and it's two years later, and the damn card is eleven fifty, and you're like, how is this still so cheap despite being that popular? It happens. It's happened to me numerous times. I have a box full of cards that that's happened. At the sit, and it has been a while since we this card has been out, so it's it's had the opportunity to disappear, and it hasn't. Um, but at the same time, it's a lot of decks. It's pretty cheap foil. Uh, I mean, the numbers all add up. I guess maybe it just feels like I have been burned on this particular equation before, but I do think that it still looks very good. This is weird. It's like an anti-pick. Here's the thing. I I have 
little doubt that this card is going to make people money in the mid to long term, assuming it doesn't see a reprint. It is an uncommon. There are almost no foils. It was reprinted once in Commander 2015, which didn't help because they're not foil. Um, you snap off the last 15 or 20 copies of this, and you're in pretty good position to charge 20 bucks a pop. But is this... See, my research is weak here. I can't remember what Marrow said about whether or not Gruel... First of all, Overload, Gruel mechanic, or is it? Uh, is it? Is it, right? Yeah. And we've already had Is It, and they didn't get Overload. Yeah. So, probably not reprinted in the next Ravnica set. And if not, then probably save for a while. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that... I, my concern here is not a reprint. That's not where it comes from. My concern is just... A like mild man that just this refuses to to move from there. That's the only place that I am concerned about. Which is weird, right? Like it feels weird that that would be a case because you're like, how could this not be that popular? I mean, and but it happens. Uh, I think I think it's likely that it exhibits slow, steady demand. But as a foil uncommon, it does come through buy lists, and so they tend to replace, you know, at roughly the pace that they are consumed um but that can't last forever and the math always tends to favor supply push over consistent demand right to push the price up at some point failing a reprint and because of overload not getting presented for the new ravnica block you know, they have to make a commitment. I, I don't see them like squeezing this into a master set in the same way they will with surgical extraction because it won't have the same impetus. They won't have the same impetus to do right. so. Um, so I think this one's, this one's pretty solid, like especially if somebody grabs like 20 copies all at once or whatever and just shelves them for six months. They're probably rock solid. I mean, Card Kingdom's buy list with credit is 780. So downside's real low. Yeah, that's. I mean, that, I mean, the buy list numbers have been pretty insane, but yeah, so that's still very, uh, very appealing. Any anytime you can throw a hundred or two hundred at something and you know you can get it back. I mean, right. Even if there are better picks, like the are the are the other picks as buy list friendly? Yeah, and the answer is rarely yes. <laughs> right. All right. So, I mean, I think, I mean, 30,000 decks doesn't speak to me of modest demand. It says that it's been in, you know, consistent demand with red players for a long time, but there aren't that many red commanders in the top five, top 10 of EDH. So I think that probably hold like, you know, it's the one color that's not an Atraxa. It's not a part of many of the big commanders from this yeah, year. Mildratha, but, Marin. But we'll probably get some interesting legendary gruel commanders in the in the winter, so yeah. that might uh, boost the top red cards in EDH overall. Yeah, and Wizards has definitely made a concerted effort to print more interesting red commanders over the last like two years or so, right? Like we've seen uh, the fire, spe- the sun seek beaker, whatever her name is, um, the one the buy box promo from before. Uh, Nargila is kind of cool looking. People like that one quite a bit. So Wizards is trying to do more with it um, than they have in the past. The, the red has been pretty shallow commander wise. So I do think that you're going to see more reasons to play red in the future, which will definitely improve. Venobless Outlook, again, third most popular card. Like if you're in red, there's a very good chance you want this card. So 
see how that turns up. Yeah, and it's it's also not just Gruel. We get Gruel and Rakdos yeah, in the next set. Yeah, and Rakdos would really like this because they don't have a lot of other ways to work with it, right? Like they don't have black doesn't really have artifact removal, so they they're gonna lean on red pretty hard for it. Yep. Um, okay, let's move on to segment three, our metagame we can review. We've got the uh, modern open in Dallas this week. Um, good looking event, I think. Uh, nothing too outstanding. We saw Dust Shadow take it down. We haven't seen too much of that lately. Some dredge in the top eight and top sixteen. Four four copies between the top sixteen. Um, Urzatron popped in by Tian and Grace. We saw a chunk of humans. Some infect. Uh, Red Green Land Loss made another appearance in the top 16. Uh, that was a pretty familiar list. They didn't do anything there that I haven't seen before. Um, so kind of a cool looking event, but I didn't, but you know, other than what was Arc like Phoenix is in here somewhere. Uh, other than that, I'm not blown away by anything. Uh, one of the humans decks in the top eight was running two copies of Tajik Legion's Edge. Mm. Uh, which was called out during our set review as something that might happen. And here, here we go. That's the first top eight. So uh, that's interesting. Um, that's only a rare. If it was a mythic, I'd be a little more excited about it. And it's only a two of, but still um, squeezing anything like squeezing your way into the humans deck is one of the harder mm. decks to squeeze into. It's kind of like squeezing into the older version of affinity. Like the slots are just so tight that <laughs> for a new card to get in there has to be pretty good. Now, it's funny for me to hear you say that because I would think humans is actually pretty flexible. You have like a couple cards that are kind of core to the strategy. But to me, human, the beauty of humans is like whatever gets big in the metagame, you can adjust because there's probably a human that fixes that. Um, So they might be playing four Thalias. They're playing three Thalias now. If spells recede and there's like a resurgence in like creature-based decks, maybe they stop playing Thalias and they swap in something else because it fits better. But then like turns out non-basic land gets good and they start main decking Magus of the Moon. Um, but then again, Tajik is also a really generic human. He doesn't... Well, that's it. Yeah, he doesn't He's fix like, something. He, it's a three-drop human that is essentially included on flex power level and his ability to boost the other humans and the fact that he prevents um, uh, lightning bolt damage to the other creatures in your deck and anger of the gods damage. Mm. Oh, wait. Uh, I don't know about that. Anger of the gods says you can't, damage can't be prevented, right? Uh, no, anger of the gods says oh, exiles. Uh, exile right. them. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah, that he is good against anger of the gods. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I mean, this is where the top 16 deck with uh, called they refer to as blue red spells came into the uh, into the spotlight here and informed my picks. It also it runs four Arclight Phoenix, four Bedlam Reveler, four Thing in the Ice and then two Jace Friends Prodigy, which is this card that's always on the fringes of modern threatening to break out. Um, and then the rest of the deck is stuff that's pretty cheap, like Faithless Looting, Fiery Temper, Insult Injury, Is It Charm, Lightning Bolt, Manamorphose, Serum Visions, Thoughtscar. So part of what I like about this deck is if it keeps going anywhere, like the cards I mentioned are the ones that are going to climb um, because there's really nothing else in the deck. Yeah. Which I mean, I think it's going to be par for the course for any, for most control decks and any like blue red spell deck, just because most of the spells are commons and uncommons. There isn't a pile of mythic one drops, right? <laughs> uh, one day maybe, but we're not there yet. Um, so I, I can see that. Uh, yeah. It was interesting that the death shadow was a four color build. Um, it wasn't Grixis or Jund. It was all of the above. Yeah. They were running the, the package of four Traverse the Ulvenwald, but they were also running Stubborn, Stubborn Denial. So that's a ballsy build. 
I did see the uh, the four um, uh, the green one. Uh, shoot, they, they they also made room for a Gorkland rampager <laughs> so that they could push Tarmogoyf and Death Shadows through with with Trample. That is, uh, I enjoy that. That is. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're 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 getting it you're getting there uh i did see that i i was browsing it to see if there was anything there there's nothing in that deck that i feel like is actionable at the time um at least especially with how it hasn't been super popular as of late i mean it definitely had its time in the sun but we've seen that deck recede a little bit so i'm not too eager about anything there uh i would love to see jace friends prodigy take off again uh i have like two or three copies floating around i do have a play set of the sccc promos um so, you know, if somebody wants to break that card in modern, I'd be uh I'd be a fan of you. The other interesting top sixteen deck was the uh green red land destruction deck that was running uh Inferno Titans, PNK Kieran Nalar, Stormbreath Dragon, Tireless Trackers, Bloodbraid Elves, the full contingent there. Uh yeah. Blood Moons, main deck. We've seen this before. It pops up here and there, never really breaks out. No, and it's it's a nifty deck. I really like the idea of it. There just isn't anywhere. It, it, I think it's never gonna it's never gonna be a main deck, you know, main part of the format, right? Like it's just not that type of deck. But it is cool. A deck after my own heart. I have uh, been a fan of land destruction forever. Um, but you know, again, not a lot there. Uh, so not a lot of way to make money. All right, so we'll uh, move on to segment four topics of the week. We just got a couple of quick notes this week. The first one would be that there is a format that was written about over on one of the Eternal, Eternal format websites. I can't remember which. What's it called? Yeah. Eternal Central, I think. Eternal Central. So somebody wrote an article about a format called Middle School, which is basically pre-modern, post-old school, and uh, included a paragraph where they basically told MTG Finance to go self-relate themselves. Yeah, self-copulate. Uh. Yeah, they and made a silly comment about how the format was... In, I think they were trying to insinuate the format was immune to speculation. Um, that's a ridiculous statement. Um, there's two things working why that would never be true. And you don't need to take middle school seriously at all at this point. But in a world where that becomes more relevant, two things to remember. One, this this format still includes reserve list cards that are not on their banned list. <laughs> so mm-hmm. right there, definitely not immune to, reser- to uh, speculation. Um, there's already been pressure on a lot of those cards and uh, a format that even takes off to the extent that Frontier did at one point or Tiny Leaders did at one point or what was the one last year that now seems to have fallen through the cracks? Uh, the, the Commander form variant that oh, only used Commander cards? Brawl. Brawl. Yeah, so all of these formats were modestly successful for some period of time. Frontier still played. Is has like, There's like a, a God of Frontier tournament at Harayuya in Japan, I think, later this month. Um Point being, if there's reserved list cards in your format, you're not speculation safe at all. Um, and the other thing is that there's a bunch of cards in that format, like Necropotents, that won't be safe from speculation, even if they ha- even if you can play any and all versions. Um, folks that tell you otherwise don't know what they're talking about, especially for cards like Necropotents that, w- that don't have very many foil versions. Mm-hmm. Um, that format is going to get heavily speculated if it's a thing. Right. So if you're playing the format and you're testing the format and you feel like you've got a bead on where it's headed... Um, and you believe strongly in it, then maybe you want to take a look at some of those cards. But it's not important enough to be on my radar yet. Yeah, I, and you know, <laughs> I think I think part of it is you know Frontier gets announced and it's by Haruya, and we're like, oh, Haruya is cool. We like them. Like I could see Frontier being format. This sounds fun. And then some idiot who tells us 
who was very wrong about many things, posts an article about a format, which could very well be very cool and attract the same type of people who want to play, attract the same people who want to play old school, but also the people who wanted to play old school, but couldn't get into it. Um, but it's the source is so much more sour that I get maybe we're soured on it a little bit. Uh, so I, I don't think it means anything at this point. If the format gets traction, uh, that would be very interesting because there's, I mean, essentially that's, that's like old school where you have this huge swath of cards that for most of them have no discernible demand, but now you are creating demand out of nowhere. And most of them are ancient. I mean, they, they, I mean, let me take it back. They're all ancient by magic standards because it's pre-modern and any that weren't reprinted are virtually non-existent. So a lot of ripe opportunities if this were to get popular. Um, I do see Lion's Eye Diamond on the ban list and I was going to give them shit about that. But uh, at the very least, I've got that on the ban list. But yeah, there's definitely some other reserve list cards, I think, right, that uh, aren't on here on their ban list. So that's opening. Uh, his comment was, I think, um, it's a play, it's a format for all players. So you can use all versions of any card in the ho- like, oh, well, you can't speculate on it because, you know, you're, you can use every version of Counterspell. You don't have to use just the ones that were printed in this time period. It's like, okay, well, that's great. And I, I approve of that initiative. That's very good if you want your format to be approachable. Uh, but do you think the one of the, or the foil Scourge card that's only printed in Scourge isn't going to get expensive if this gets popular? Like, So you're not taxing the guy who just wants to show up and play, but you're dreaming if you think this wouldn't move prices. And that has nothing to do with us. Like, what do you think is going to happen if several thousand people suddenly decide they want to play this and go start buying some of the, what ends up being key staples that were only printed in legions, right? You think, (laughs) you think you complain about speculators online is going to prevent that card from going up? Like, that card could only ever sell uh, four of at a time. The people who plan on playing them and the price would still go up because they drain all the cheap copies. And there's probably only 75 on the internet to begin with, but this has become more personal than it needs to be. So I think the general <laughs> takeaway is uh, you don't need to do anything about it yet, but keep your ear to the ground to see if it gets popular. Cause if it does, it will absolutely move prices despite the creator's intention. Yeah. All right. So the only other thing we wanted to talk, uh, touch on this week uh, was the advancing popularity of uh, Magic Arena, which is, of course, the new digital magic gaming platform um, that only offers uh, standard and drafting, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were running Brawl, but I'm not sure if they still are. Um, the, dis- the key MTG Finance discussion all along the way since the very first moment this was announced has been, you know, how many years does Magic Online have left given uh, the if the popularity of Arena advances, given that there are strong motivations for Wizards to unify the player base on a single platform and maybe push them into formats that that platform can support. Um, you know, what, what is your current thinking? Um, I, you know, for the time being, it's semi-safe to be playing both of them. Uh, obviously, MTGO is serving a very different population at the moment than Arena is. Arena is people who are a little more casual, people who want to drop in and get a game in, um, people who don't have a... I'm using Legacy not as a format, but just as a general descriptor, a Legacy collection. Uh, <clears throat> so definitely different populations. I also think that Arena probably prints money at an absurd rate 
uh, already, and it's only going to get more so. We know Hasbro said that the marketing campaign hasn't really begun yet, which is a really interesting comment because I think we are all aware that Arena has had more marketing pushed than any other magic product really to non-magic players, right? They had like that Danny Trejo Trejo commercial a little while ago. There was that famous Vine personality who did like a little minute video of himself playing a game that looked kind of like magic. And I guess that was tied in. So there's already been a push. So we could see arena get way bigger, way faster. And then it will really start to turn money. Now at the moment, MTGO is essentially free money for wizards because people pour tickets, money into tickets and uh, they don't have to do anything really, but they do have to maintain MTGO. They have to make, put the new sets out. Someone has to put the new cards in, uh, and they have to go through the work of keeping it up and running and also not looking like a uh, a wasteland. So there will be a point if Arena gets popular enough that it is not worth the salary and the maintenance cost to keep MTGO running uh, when they could just uh, shutter that and move over to Arena. And keep in mind, too, and I think, James, I'm sure you'll probably have more com- more to come on this as well, that you can look at it and go, well, Arena can't support Modern or Legacy with its card uh, stock at the moment. They don't have the, the all those cards in the form, in the system. So the only place to play Modern and Legacy is MTGO. So they can't ri- get rid of MTGO. Okay, that's very true until they just get rid of Modern and Legacy. Yeah. Or or the site does so well that they decide to invest in, in adding relevant sets to support those formats. Sure. And they could do the same thing that they did on MTGO, which is master sets, right? For sets that weren't released truly on MTGO, they kind of did a master set and just shoved everything in that they felt needed to be there. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can believe about MTGO and Arena, but those equations can change. And if Wizards is really taking Arena seriously, which it sounds like they will, uh, I think that's going, they're going to behave in a way that players are not accustomed to Wizards behaving. I, I, I'd leave people with this. If you've been playing Magic Online for a long time, like someone like my dad has, where he drafts a few times a week and he's got a huge collection of cards he's never sold. Um, if you're one of those people that's been playing for 5, 10, 15 years on Magic Online and you just got a pile of random cards sitting around that you never use and you're not doing anything with and you can't redeem anymore, sell those cards. Like you, you don't know what the future brings. On average, those cards are not going to go up. Most, most of them are worth pennies and, and aren't, are never going, that's never going to change. Keep the cards that you know you're going to use. If you've got a beloved modern deck on, on, or a modern collection or a legacy collection or whatever on Magic Online, by all means, hold on to those for as long as they're giving you value. But all the other stuff, get rid of it. It's the same thing as when you have like a huge collection at home that you never touch. Buy list that shit. Get something awesome and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and here it's even more dangerous here than it would be in a lot of other places where it's like, oh, you know, I have a pile of magic cards sitting around uh, that I have it at the house and like they're just kind of collecting dust and whatever that's fine but they have a sort of a floor for how cheap they can really get for the most part but mtgo cards are not that have no floor right like mtgo cards could be absolutely and entirely worthless if wizard shutters the platform so (laughs) so there's a lot more risk there with holding cards that you're not using on a regular basis yep um i'm sure you know you you were uh sharing some thoughts off cast um uh, before we started recording um did you have anything else that you really wanted to say on this because i know you've been a lot more connected to the digital scene than i have 
Yeah, I mean, I've been out of it for over a year now. Reinvested most of that money into masterpieces. So, and the, no, no reason I ever look back with with sadness in that scenario. Um, but you know, I think that the clock when I got out was probably early if you had no other option. But fine if you had a good alternative, which I did. Um, now I think the clock is ticking. Like I think that from this point forward, you're thinking about where are we going to end up a year, two years, three years, four years from now. And that's why I say like, if you've got extra stuff, get rid of it. Um, and in the meantime, you know, play whichever platform you like best and the community will collectively vote for the future of magic online. Mm-hmm. It does seem like the other thing that I'd be worried about is you can be building, you know, in MTGO and feel like you're safe right now and you're not that worried about it. But like, when that house of cards crumbles, <laughs> that's a good analogy here. Uh, it's going to crumble fast, right? Like it is going to go real quick because as soon as it's as soon as there's an announcement or even a whiff of MPGO getting uh, sunsetted, like people are going to be trying to sell out in droves. So prices are going to are going to just take a right a ninety degree turn down at some point, and you do not want to be caught in that. So I nope. feel like we're kind of doom saying here, but uh we really don't want you guys to get caught with your pants down yeah and and to be clear this is not going to be something you have to worry about immediately this is a mid to long term thing um so probably 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 all right so i think that's a wrap for this week where can people find you online travis boy the first week that james has something else he needs to do and we record a 56 minute podcast meanwhile i have to go to bed and james like we can sit around and talk for four hours about (laughs) anything right uh i'm on twitter at wizard bumpin b-u-m-p-i-n and i write every monday mtg price doing the watchtower series and you guys can find me online at on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 141. Uh, another good one. I would say, you know, we're closing in on three years here, James. Uh, no. Pretty incredible. Yeah, right? 150, 156 for three years. So we're uh, 15, I guess, 15 Close. weeks away, but closer than not. Um, all right. I had a good one and I will uh, see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.